read the pages to get to understand. I'm, I'm elaborating a little bit, but that we wouldn't just read the pages on the Bible, in the Bible to get to know God or to get to know what he's doing, but that we would see things happen, right? And Paul said that, that I didn't come with just words, but with the power of God. And all week long, I've been, I've been preparing the sermon. And in all honesty, I feel like this is one of the, today's sermon is one of the most important things for us to hear in our lives. And definitely, I'm not saying that because of the speaker. <laughs> but we're going to answer a question, or I'm going to try through Scripture, through God's Word, to answer a question today. And I'll reveal that question in a minute. But as I was thinking about this question, as I was preparing this sermon, I thought, I thought to myself, my words are my are words. And even God's word, if it's not anointed by God's Holy Spirit, Holy Presence, they fall on ears that are not listening. I'm not saying that you guys aren't listening. But... But we need God's power, we need, we need His Spirit, we need His anointing, His presence to bring to life His Word, to bring to life His Gospel. And I pray, I just want to start with prayer right now. And God, I pray that you would be in this sanctuary like you were in the Holy of Holies, God. That your Spirit would be here in all of its power, and all of its glory, at least all of it that we can handle as, as humans, this life that you would descend into this sanctuary with all of your glory, and that you would open our ears, that you would anoint my tongue, that, your words, that my words would be your words, and that, my, that whatever passion is in me would be your passion. Because, Lord, we need you. We need your revelation from on high, and not just our ears listening to a preacher preach. Because we've been many times listening to sermons and left without knowing anything or remembering anything. May that never be the case for us, God, and especially today. May you abide here in this sanctuary and in your sanctuaries within us. Anoint this word to your glory, we pray. Amen. So last week... <clears throat> we did, we talked about Peter a little bit and, and did, talked about having a year-end review. Um, I gave my kind of a little testimony of my year-end review and Peter's and we came to the point of realizing that Jesus is the one who restores and reconciles. He takes the things that have been in the past and he restores us from them despite them and he reconciles us to him, even when we feel that we've wandered away from him or feel like giving up on things. And this year being the first Sunday, the first sermon of the new year, it's fitting to, for us to think about new beginnings. What's, you know, looking into the future, looking into this new year, 2020. And in this new year, well, let me give you uh, the title of the sermon first because it's kind of necessary for us to know where we're going. The title of the sermon today is The Great I Am. Do you really know him? The Great I Am. 
do you really know him? This question is one of the most important questions that we could ever ask ourselves or that could ever be asked to us. And I pray that today we get a revelation from God that will allow us to not leave this place the same as we entered in. This question affects us not only in this life, but for every aspect of our life and through eternity. So with that said, we're going to open to Exodus 3, 1 through 15. I have, uh, I'm going to read from the NIV version, Exodus 3, 1 through 15. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that, through the, Moses saw that though the bush was, was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him, from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take, your, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is on holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, mo at this moment, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that you, so that I'm sorry, this will be the sign to you that, is, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is, your, what is his name, then what shall I tell him? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So if you're listening there in the text, you will have heard that Moses 
was not big on this idea that God had. Moses said, who am I that you're going to send me? Right? He's, he's already kind of backing off from this idea. Um, we learn later, actually, in, uh, after this chapter, that not only did he back off, but he was completely not wanting any part of this. We know that um, he said, but they won't believe me. At one point he says, but, you know, I, I'm not really good at talking. I'm not, I'm not good at speech. I'm not eloquent. And then he eventually just flat out tells God, can you just please send somebody else? But God wasn't going to back down from him. So what was it, what was it that, that caused Moses to not want to have any part of this? Maybe he's a pragmatist and he's thinking, okay, God, you're wanting to go and you're, going to, you're talking about going to one of the biggest superpowers and you're going to take their free labor force of so many people and then you're going to go to a pe- six or so different people groups and give us that land? Are you going to bequeath it to us? Are you, are you going to, to have us take over them? What's going to happen? He was not big on this. Maybe he was a pragmatist. Also, we know he didn't really believe in himself, right? Moses didn't believe in himself. He's like, who am I that you're going to do this? Don't send me. These are all the reasons that you shouldn't send me, and I'm not good enough for this. But most importantly, and I think the biggest question, the biggest reason that Moses was not wanting to have any part of this was because he didn't know who God was. He didn't know who God is. And the truth is that everything hinges on this question. Everything hinges on this question for Moses, but everything hinges on this question for us in our lives and for everybody on this earth in every generation as well. In verse 13, Moses asks, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Again, he's asking, he's basically saying, God, who are you? I don't don't know who you are. I don't know anything about you. Who are you? So that is the question of the day. Who is God? So one way we know who God is is we look, at, we look at the Scripture right here. God says, my name is I Am. And if we know, as we discussed in uh, previous weeks, a name means everything in the first century Middle Eastern, Middle Eastern culture, in Jewish culture specifically. Right? Remember I mentioned that Jesus renamed Peter Rock? Um, We've got Jesus' name. If you recall two weeks ago, I mentioned that his name, what the, the, um, Gabriel told Joseph, or actually Mary, I'm sorry, that his name is to be Jesus because he's going to save the world, save people. And his, his name means the Lord saves, right? Jesus has meaning in his name. So, so we can learn who God is by his name. So in verses 14 and 15, God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
I am. He says, this is my name forever from generation to generation. So as I was looking this up, I, I don't know about you, but you're, are you're, you might be thinking like now, right now, oh, this is going to be cool. Johnny's going to elaborate greatly on the name of I am and explain that better to me. And that was my plan. That was what I wanted to do. And then I started looking all through the different commentaries, and I realized people don't really know very well what that means. People have come with their own ideas. They have take, broken down the original language, and they've, they've come up with different ideas. And there's been a lot of ideas, but I don't want to present them to you because sometimes they're debatable, they're opposite. But the, the thing that I was happy to see is that in all of the the versions of the Bible, the most popular ones that I reference the most, it, the, the translation was either I am, or in this specific text, I am who I am. So these groups of people that have come and, and created the NIV, the, the, um, all of the, the Bibles, uh, New American Standard Version, the English Standard Version, all of these, they've come up with I am who I am. So what I learned from that experience is that the name I am who I am in its original language as God spoke it to Moses is complex. And I thought about it and I was like, actually, that makes complete sense because you have a God, an infinite God, coming to a finite person, man, and trying to tell him who he is, trying to express his name and, and what that means of who he is in a way that, that a human can understand. And the reality of it is that God is so much bigger than our understanding, so much beyond our thoughts that we can't fully fathom him. So it makes sense why it would be complex. But one of the things that one of the research, researchers or one of the commentators expressed and I appreciated was he said perhaps one of the, one of the messages God was trying to give to, to Moses, to the Israelites, and ultimately to us was this. I am who I am. And that God is trying to say, I am all that I reveal myself to be through all I've ever done or will do through my actions and words. I don't know if, that, if I explained that well. You will get to know me, you will know me by what I do. The proof is in the pudding. <laughs> you will know who I am by what I do. And ultimately, we know that, we know that God's um, word, by reading God's word, there's multiple names of God um, that describe different attributes of him, right? God is healer, almighty God, Jehovah, um, Yahweh, which is the original um, expressed way of, of saying the, the name I am. So who is God? As we think of who is God, he is I am. One way of saying that he is beyond our understanding. He is transcendent. I feel like 
transcendence, God's transcendence, or God being transcendent, is something that is an aspect of this whole message. Everything I say, nothing will explain God fully, right? Because our knowledge can only go to here of a God that's infinite. So, so it, God is complex. He is the great I am. Also from the text, we know that God is loving. That God is loving. We read in verses 7 and 9 in this text specifically that God hears their cries, right? Two weeks ago, I, uh, I preached and I titled the, the message, The Great Lengths of God's Love. And I spoke about how God knew us and planned for our birth even before creation happened. And how God did everything throughout creation so that out of love for us, all the way through giving us a warning of judgment, letting us know about it so that we could spend life and eternity. And of course, Christ's birth died for our sins and resurrected. All, everything done for our love. He always had a plan or for his love for us. But in this text, God says he hears their cries and he knows their sufferings. God loves us, I, I, God loves us more than we could ever understand. His embrace stretches from before creation and throughout eternity. He this, again, it, it, it's, it's so difficult to try to explain God's love. And I pray that today God will reveal himself more and more to us. So God is love. God is I am. God is love. And this section of Scripture also speaks of God's holiness. God is holy. Verses 4, I'm sorry, verses 5 and 6. God tells, tells Moses, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then verse 6 says, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So holiness is one of those things that some people, it's one of those church words that's hard to understand to some degree. Um, it's definitely morality is part of it, um, at least in our Usage of the word um, in, in Hebrew context, first century Hebrew context, ceremonially, you, you could be ceremonially holy. You had to cleanse yourself a certain way to be holy for ceremonies. Um, but holiness also speaks of being set apart, being pure, clean, being unique. And I want to tell you, God is, it, God is holy, but he is not only holy, he is the epitome of holiness. He is the, the definition of holiness, if you will, the essence of holiness. One aspect of, of holiness is to be set apart, and God is unique. He is set apart. He is not like any other. He is, again, transcendent, above and beyond anything we can fathom or understand, though we try our best to understand. 
God is the essence of holiness. 1 John 1.5 says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. There is no sin. There is no anything close to looking like sin in him. He is pure and utter cleanliness. And this is represented as light, right? And I said he was the definition of holiness. It says in Isaiah 57, For this is what the high and lofty one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I, I, uh, in studying this week, I watched this YouTube clip of somebody explaining holiness and I appreciated their metaphor. They, they, they spoke about God's holiness as being similar to the sun. The sun is a unique thing in our, in our solar system, right? It's unlike any, anything else, which God is unlike anything else. It's super bright, as, as the, God's word represents God being. But it, it's also God is like the sun in the sense that he's so holy that as we come closer to him, if we are not completely pure and completely holy, he is an all-consuming fire. Nothing can stand in the presence of God unless it, that person is completely pure and holy. And we, we, we get that, that, that um, idea here where, where God says, don't come any closer. And Moses hides his eyes because he's worried about falling flat dead in the presence of an almighty, all-powerful, all and fully, completely holy God. So in, in, Jacob also was, is an example of, of um, someone who realized this reality that we, we cannot be in the presence of God. Um, he, he says uh, in Genesis 32, So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. In Exodus 19, um, on, also we talk about, or we, we read in Exodus 19, Mount Sinai, when they're on Mount Sinai, that Moses, he, God called Moses up onto the mountain, but he told everybody else to stay away, so that they don't end up dead, right? So God's holiness is something that is, that's the best I can describe it, but, but it's so much beyond our understanding. It is also an aspect of God that, that produces reverence, right? It, 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 it calls for reverence from, from us. Sometimes it's, it's our intentional reverence that we give to him, and sometimes it's a reflexive, a reflexive reverence where we feel the presence of the Almighty God and we cannot do anything else but to fall to our face in, in reverence or to stand in praise of his reverence. And there's two verses that, that I wanted to share with you. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. <clears throat> and if you would, you don't have to if you don't feel comfortable, if you feel like it, close your eyes as, you, as I read this because it can give you the, the image 
of this glorious experience where, where Isaiah is, is witnessing the holiness of God. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, cried, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What a beautiful picture of God's glory and of his holiness. If we stand in his holiness as Isaiah did, we will have nothing to do and be able to do nothing but to, to hit the ground in adoration, in reverence. And if we're, if we're living in any sin or even feel the sin, guilt of sin in any way, we are going to feel like him, a man of unclean lips. And praise God, though, that there is redemption as, as this uh, text speaks of that ultimately was in Christ, that our guilt is taken away and our sin atoned for. Revelations 4, 8 through 11 is also a beautiful picture. It says, day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. So again, I come to the end of talking about holiness, knowing that I can't explain it to you completely, but praising God that I pray that he will give us a revelation. If not now, as we, as we are in our week, as we live out our week this week, that God would come to us and reveal to us a greater and deeper revelation of his holiness. But God is all holy beyond our understanding, which leads us to reverence. And the next thing is that God is all-powerful. The fancy word is omnipotent, if you've heard it before. All-powerful. And this is one of those things, again, we can read through Scripture and read of God's holiness as I just did. We can read through Scripture and read of all the mighty things, the the miracles He's done, 
from generation to generation to generation, even in the book of Moses right now. And we can flip the page like, and forget about it, right? We can flip the page and, oh, he, he parted the seas. Flip. Let me go back to my life. And we're, we're scared of the little thing that might be going on at work, right? We're overwhelmed by this little thing at work or whatever it may be. But I hope and I, wanna, and I hope that we can get a grasp by God's grace today that this would sink in, that God is all-powerful. We, we read this in the text, seen as the burning bush was burning, but not burning, right? The flame was there, but the bush was not burning and go, going away. And if that wasn't weird enough for Moses, or should I say miraculous enough, powerful enough, um, a revelation of God's powerful enough, then God started speaking through the bush or around the bush or however he got his voice across to Moses. That is the God that we serve. That is the God that works in our lives day to day and lives within us. The God that speaks through bushes and the God that reveals himself to us. And I could go on for hours if I was to go from the beginning of Genesis through to Revelation to speak of all of the miracles that are a representation, right, of who God is, I am, right, of who that great I am is. But I won't go that long because people would probably fall asleep <laughs> by then. But I am going to break down some of the miracles God provided. And I want us to, I don't want you to hear them I want you to believe them, right? And I'm not saying you don't. I know, I know you guys are believers, but sometimes we get used to the Bible, right? Sometimes we get used to day-to-day -day worries we have and fears and difficulties. And it's almost as if the miraculous God of the Bible or of, of our lives that we read in the Bible, we shut the Bible, leave him at home, and we go fearful into our day or, or worryful into our day or whatever it may be. But the truth is that this God that I'm going to break down some miracles that, went, that happened, that God is not the God of the Bible, though he is. He's the God that resides within us for our everyday life. And I want to say too, he is the God who re resides within Joy Christian Center and can do more than we ask, could think, or imagine in and through us as a congregation. May that be so for 2020. So, so as we don't just listen to these miracles, but live them and believe them, some of these miracles happened in the life of Moses, one after another. It was amazing, right? Um, first of all, the, the, the burning bush. Then he goes, in that same, the next couple chapters or chapter, we read that God gives him a staff. Or he has a staff. He drops the staff and God miraculously changes it into a snake. He picks it up, it turns back into a staff. He miraculously makes Moses' hand turn into 
to like it's ashy, like he has um, what's the, leprosy. Thank you. Like he has leprosy, he puts it back in and it's cleansed. It's healed, restored. He tells him when you go to, well, I'll just fast forward. He goes to Pharaoh, and what happened? The ten signs, the ten plagues, all happen. Miraculous, huge events in history that God had to do, unfortunately. He tried to let Pharaoh turn his heart, but Pharaoh didn't, and all these things happened. Then they crossed the Red Sea, crossed the sea. He parted, literally stopped the water on both sides so that they could walk through on dry ground. That is the God that follows us to our job that dwells within us at our job. That is the God that's already working in the hearts of everybody at our job, whether they know it or not, whether they know him or not. He's calling them to him. That's the God that's with us when we're driving. That's the God that knows our fears and wants us to understand. You don't need to be afraid. If I am for you, who can be against you? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of every miracle you've ever heard and seen, and every one you will. So we, we also, I, I'll even say, how many times did, you know, God parted the seas once, right? That was miraculous, right? Once? No. He parted the seas at least four times that I can think of. Elisha. He parted the, the, sea, the Jordan River for Elisha. He parted the, the Jordan River for Elijah. He parted the Jordan River, I believe it was as well, for Joshua as the Israelites went in to the promised land. Okay, so if, if our God's not big enough for you and, and, and your difficulties in your life by parting one sea, let me tell you, he can part any sea and any wall, break down any wall that we come against. Speaking of walls, the wall of Jericho, once they got across the dry, once, they, once God parted the Jordan River and they, they, crossed, they crossed that, they walk into the promised land and they say, God, hey, how do you want us to fight these people? How are we going to take over this, these people? They've got themselves barricaded in. What are we going to do? And God says, of all things, march around Seven times. On the seventh time, scream, uh, blare your horns, and the walls will fall down. If that's not a metaphor for our life and how powerful God is in our life, I don't know what is. He parts the seas for us, and he breaks the walls for us in ways sometimes that don't make sense, in ways we couldn't expect, sometimes at the last minute, right? Wouldn't it have been nice if God would have just cleaned out Jericho before they got there so they could just walk right in and enjoy that space? But that's not always how God works. And we have to have faith all the way through the parted sea. We have to have faith because some, some of us, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying anything, but some of us, or maybe not none of us, but other Christians, if God parted the sea, we, we'd be like, uh... Like, not knowing, not, not even willing to walk through because it's going to pour on us, we think, right? We don't have enough faith. But we serve a God 
of wonders, a God that is beyond our realm of understanding, so much to such a degree that we can never fully understand the God we serve and the God that, ser- that, that dwells within us and abides in us and with us. But we need to remind ourselves daily and we need to seek Him so that we can gain a greater revelation of this truth for our lives and for our walk and for how it affects every aspect of our life, including how we share our God with others. So God is all-powerful. I could go on and on. Fiery furnace. Um, I didn't even start in the New Testament, um, but for time's sake, I'll leave it at that. Um, by the way, while I remember, I left a, a handout with the, um, the I am statements of Jesus on one side and the other side some names of God. I believe they're in Hebrew. Um, I would encourage you to take that home and get to know this God that we serve. Um, on, on one side, there's some Bible verses. On the other side, there aren't. So look up the names. Look up the names, look up where it's in the Bible, read it, get to know the God that we serve. Because the more we know him, the more we can live out our lives in the knowledge of him. So God is all-powerful. God is all-loving, all-holy, completely holy. His name is holy, as the text says, and God is all-powerful. Lastly, at least... I shouldn't have used that word because that got your hopes up, maybe. <clears throat> that was false hope. Because I was going to say, lastly meaning, the last description of God, and then I got more to say after that, is that God is present. God is present. He is here, specifically in the text, verses 11 and 12. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh And bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. So I've already said it, but we serve a God who is with us. And we not only serve a God who is with us, but a God who is within us, who lives within us. So God is always present. God was with with Moses through every adventure that he experienced all the way until God took him home. And he's with us in every adventure we experience, the difficult times, the valleys and the mountaintops, the beautiful times. God is with us through every adventure. So God is perfect in his love for us, completely holy in every way, powerful, beyond our understanding, omnipotent, to use again the fancy word, all-powerful, and he is omniscient, always with us. He's always with us. But I did just explain God, as, as I said, through his the way he reveals himself to us through his actions and his word, the Bible, right? As that one commentator said that God does, he reveals himself. I am who I am 
I will, I will, you will know me through the revelation of how I act, what I do, and through my words, verbal or written through the Bible. But the truth remains that I am uh, Yahweh, his, his name that he, he presents himself to Moses with, is still complex, still confusing. The reality is, is that Moses gave us, and the Israelites, a fuller, a more full revelation of God by, by God declaring to him, I am who I am, giving him that new name. But the beauty, the beauty is that Jesus fulfilled this revelation of God. So the, the great I am of Exodus chapter 3 and all the commentators trying to explain it the best they can leave us wondering. But Jesus fulfilled this revelation. So as I said, I left the, and again, please don't forget the, the handout. I left the handout for you to reveal to you how did Jesus explain himself to be. And in John, they talk about the seven I am statements. I'm going to tell you more than seven, but I'll, I'll tell you them. So, so Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. Also, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. He said, I am the true vine. Right? If you remember that story, he's telling us he is the source of everything in our lives and of any fruit and anything good we're going to do in this life comes through our relationship, through being attached to the vine. And then two other stories, you'll, you'll remember, um, when Jesus is talking to a group of people, he says in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. And what directly happened after that? They picked up stones. Because they, they knew he wasn't just saying, before, Ab before Abraham was, I am. Like, I don't even know how to say that differently. They, they knew what he was saying. They knew he was saying, before Abraham was, I am who I am. Identifying with the name. And they said, blasphemy, let's take him out. And in his way of being miraculous, he slipped out without them knowing where he went, right? And then another beautiful one of, of uh, I am statements or I am experiences of God is when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers come up and he says, who are you here? Jesus says, who are you here to get? Who are you here for? And they, they said, Jesus. And he says, I am. Boom, they hit the ground. They fell to the ground in the power of that revelation of who he was. I am who I am. Jesus is the fulfillment of this revelation. Jesus is God incarnate. 
we know God through him. If you remember, he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. God is fully, I mean, sorry, Jesus was and is, was fully God and was fully human and is fully God for eternity in, the, in his person of the Trinity. He's the full representation of our king, right? He says he identified as the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So as we look at the, the, the four points I've been trying to make, God is love, holy, God is holy, God is all-powerful, and God is ever-present. We think about how, do, how are these, how are these rea- realities for us in Jesus. The truth is that Jesus is the manifestation of God's love. Let's say that again. Jesus is the manifestation of God's love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is the essence of our holiness. If you recall the other day, or actually speaking of the sun metaphor, right? We can't get close to God without being burned up in, in, our own, in and of ourselves. But as God sees us through the lens of Jesus' blood, or through the lens of Jesus, he sees us as holy. We are holy only because of his sacrifice for our sins. We are holy. He is the essence of our holiness. He is the source of every bit of strength and power that we have in this life. If we ever pray for somebody and they are healed, that's God. That's the source of all power. If we ever were to take a staff, if you happen to be walking with one one day, and touched a lake and it parted, that is God. But even on the day-to-day of our lives, He is the power that gives us peace. When we are, when we are, are um, confronting a wall in our life of some sort, he's, he's the power that breaks down the wall for us. He's the source of our power, and He is the one who is always with us. As we know, he said, it's better that, that I leave. He said this to his disciples. It's better that I leave. Because when I leave, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the, the one who comes alongside you will be with you and who dwells within you. So the question today, God is, Jesus is the great I am. Do you really know him? I'm going to tell us, I'm going to tell me, and I'm going to tell all of us, we don't really know him. We know him relationally, and I hope we will forever get to know him more relationally, but we will never fully know him in this life. I don't even know if in, in, in heaven he's going to fully reveal everything about himself because he's so much beyond us. But in this life, we will never fully know him. But... It is our life's ambition and the ambition, I will say, of Joy Christian Center, even though we haven't talked about this, I can trust that they would back me up on this, and the leaders here, that this is our desire for us in 2020 and beyond, that we get to know God more and more, day in and day out, week in and week out, together as a family. 
So Jesus revealed himself, I already expressed this, in many ways. Emmanuel, he is, he is the, our Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Bread of Life. But in this vein that he is our King, I want to kind of settle on that. He is our King. As a King, he, a good King is loving. A good king expects and expects reverence from his people. A good king is powerful. And a good king is present with his people. And they know they've got his ba- their back, right? So I, a finite man, a man, a human, just tried to explain an infinite God in these four attributes of who he is. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to explain that well enough for us to really get what, I'm tr- what I want us to get, what I want me to get. So I figured I'd let another finite man who preached decades ago try to, try to nail it into us a little further. So I got a video for us to watch, and then we'll wrap up after that. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-framed of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy, and his burden.
That's our king. That's our king. That's our king that's here on Sundays. But that's our king that's at your job with you. Like I said, that's our king that, that abides with us everywhere we go, that breaks down the walls, that parts the seas for us. That's our king. And as we, as we embark on 2020, um, as we embark on this new season, for me, it's, I guess for all of us, it's embarking on a new decade, right? For me, it's embarking on a new decade of life as I'm 40 now. Um, and and it's, it's we, we need to know him. We need to know him. We need to know him. I just think of the things that, that may have held us back in the past. Things, um, whether it be a, a health issue, which I can relate with, uh, myself, whether it be disabilities, whether it be um, um, a person's age, whether it be life dynamics, whether it be fears, stress, whatever it may be that might have held us back from what God has for us. I don't know if God's spoken to you, spoken into your life a dream. Or, or if you have a dream you believe God's given you your whole life, or if it's just with, with joy, if it's about joy, God can do all things, right? And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So I pray that we all go with God, right? Go with the God who is all-loving, all-holy, all-powerful, and ever-present. And that as we take of communion today, which we will right now, I pray we do it with reverence. This is a God, our God, who is so holy, we don't understand it. There, there's, there's certain denominations that, that, that have more of a rhythm of reverence, fact, you know, into the rhythm of, of worship. Um, some Protestant denominations have less. And so sometimes we have to be very intentional about reminding ourselves of the holiness of God. And so as we enter into partaking of communion together, of the Lord's Supper, I pray we will do so in reverence of God's holiness and be reminded even during our last songs of worship, to bow to him if we, if we want to physically, if not in our hearts, in awe of the mighty God we serve and in reverence of his holiness.
Lord God, we thank you for who you are. As beyond as you are from our understanding, we, we thank you for the understanding that you've given us through your word, through the revelation of who you are, through your actions throughout history and in our lives. And we give you praise, God. We give you praise. And we thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice that makes us holy, that has empowered us, that expressed your love to us, and that reminds us that you are always here and that you will never forsake us or leave us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice. And on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take this and eat this. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. After doing so, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks and he said to his disciples, take this and drink this, my blood of the new covenant, take this in remembrance of me, let's take this together.